Welcome to the Not Tonight podcast, where we have bold conversations about sex and intimacy in marriage. I'm Rachel. And I'm Caitlin. And we are two married women who believe that telling the truth about sex leads to connection, joy, and freedom. In each episode, we will elevate stories of women discovering their most authentic self by doing the work in their own sex lives. Join us as we hear from incredible women just like you who are discovering that the path to healing begins in the bedroom. Welcome back, everyone, to the Not Tonight podcast season three. Yes, we are here today with Carly Palmer Webb. She is the Christian sex educator. She is a sex researcher and educator, and we are so, so excited to have you here today, Carly. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. I am definitely fighting some of these butterflies right now because, gosh, I have been following your work for a few years, Carly, and just am so grateful for what you do. Thank you for being here. I just am so excited to dive into your story as well as what you do. And just you have such incredible resources that I can't wait to share with our audience. Thank <laughs> so, you. Yes. So can you start by sharing with us a little bit about where you are in the world, a little bit about your family, just little backstory of where yeah. you are and who you are. Totally. So I currently live in Utah in Provo. Um, my husband is doing an MBA in Utah right now. So we just moved back to Utah for that um, a little over a year ago from Vermont. Mm-hmm. And my husband's name is Dallin and we have a little five-month-old named Miles. So mm-hmm. we're navigating the first-time parent life, which has <laughs> been really fun and really exhausting, obviously. Right. <laughs> And that's kind of taking up a lot of my time and then just running my business from home. That's what my life looks like right now. Love it. That's wonderful. Did you grow up in Utah? I grew up in Idaho. Oh, awesome. In a tiny little town called Weezer. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Great. <laughs> I'm sure some Idaho listeners will know where that is, but mm-hmm. the rest of us have no idea. I mean, I'm in Washington and I've never heard of that before. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. so. <laughs> so Carly, can you share with us a little bit about your growing up years in small town? What was your family like? What was the relationship like with your parents that you observed when you were young? Things like that. I had a pretty incredible childhood, if I'm mm-hmm. honest. Um, I am one of five kids, so pretty big family, mm-hmm. and grew up in a really wonderful Christian home. My parents are incredible. They really are. We tease them that they should win every parenting award except for <laughs> sex ed in the home. <laughs> that was no present. But aside from that, my parents were incredible and kind and mm. just good, good people. I'm still mm. really close with my parents. So we grew up in a tiny little town, spent most of our time outside, (laughs) and I'm right in the middle of five kids, so I'm pretty close with my siblings on both sides. Um, Grew up in a very actively Christian home. Mm. You know, we we went to church a lot and were taught a lot about about God and Christ, and my Mm -hmm. parents were just... Awesome. Except yeah. for sex ed. <laughs> right. What does that mean when you say they were not awesome at that one area? <laughs> it, just, it was just 
just not talked about. We didn't talk about bodies. We didn't talk about consent. I didn't know that periods were a thing until I went to fifth grade maturation day. I learned what sex was from my friends at school when they Mm -hmm. started learning about it or when they started having sex. So Mm -hmm. that kind of thing just wasn't a part of my upbringing at all. Mm. Yeah. Something that I really like about how you describe your parents, though, is like sometimes I kind of feel like resentment or whatever, but it's like, no, these are good, kind people that were just Mm -hmm. raised in a different time that didn't have the right Right. resources themselves that were, yeah, doing the best they could at that time. And yeah, so it's it's nice to have that like lens of understanding. Yeah, they definitely didn't get anything from their parents in this realm, right? Mm -hmm. So they had never seen it modeled. They didn't know where to find resources. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, under the circumstances, (laughs) I think they did about as well as they knew how to do. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So even though they didn't talk about sex to you at home, what did you observe from their relationship once you were more aware of sexuality and that your parents would be sexual beings. Did you observe Mm -hmm. their relational dynamics in any particular way? I paid really close attention to my parents' relationship. I've always been really interested in relationships Mm. and just very aware of how people treat each other and things like Mm. that. That's always been important to me since I was young. Mm. Um, So I paid attention to how my parents treated each other, which my parents are very kind to each other too, mm-hmm. which I'm really grateful I had that example growing up. Yeah. But it was probably like freshman year before I really understood what at least intercourse was. Mm-hmm. Um, it wouldn't have been till then that I really even came to the realization, I guess, that my parents were sexually active. Right. Um, but honestly... I probably thought that they weren't anymore, which sounds so, I mean, my parents were young. My mom had my oldest sister, who's four years older than me, when she was 20. They got married really young. So, I mean, my parents were like in their early, early 40s when I was in high school. So, of course, they were still sexually active, but I think maybe I avoided that mentally. I think a lot of us do that. (laughs) Yeah. My parents were good at showing physical affection in front of us. So we would see Mm -hmm. them holding hands and we would see them kiss and stuff. So I felt like they were in love. You know, I Mm -hmm. recognized that they really loved each other, Mm -hmm. but I don't think I ever really thought much about them being sexually active. I think I tried to actively avoid that. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) I I think that's normal too. I remember when my mom gave me the sex talk when I was in fifth grade. So she did talk to me about it once. Mm-hmm. And once, yep. <laughs> like in that conversation, I was kind of like, well, like you guys obviously don't have sex anymore. <laughs> right. Totally. And there, she's You're like, too old for this. Yeah. She's like, how would you know that? And I'm like thinking, well, but you already had us kids. Like, why would you still do that? <laughs> right. Totally. <laughs> We have to like make sense of that in our young Mm -hmm. brains, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, man. So my question is then if you didn't hear about sex in the home, but you observed like a relationship with your parents, you know, 
what happened when you had questions about sexuality? Did you go to your parents ever or did, was that reserved for outside of your family? Yeah, I, I don't remember ever going to my parents with questions about sex or bodies or sexuality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I went to friends mm-hmm. typically, but I was quite shy growing up. So I think a lot of things I just kept to myself. Mm-hmm. Um, Google <laughs> wasn't yes. really a thing until I was like a junior or senior in high school. So mm-hmm. which maybe was a good thing for me because I didn't have a safe place to go. I might have found a lot of things that I wasn't ready for had mm-hmm. Google been more prevalent earlier on or been invented earlier on. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I mostly if I was brave enough to ask questions, I would ask friends and I had, you know, specific friends who I felt like knew more, you know, they were, (laughs) they were more sex educated than others, (laughs) I would go to them. (laughs) Right, right. And then also, when you know someone is more educated in that, you're going to feel a little more brave with your questions. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're not scared to talk about it. So maybe I won't be, you know, right. Yeah, yeah. And ideally, that kind of dynamic could exist between parents and their children. The, if the children know that the parents aren't scared of talking about it, that they feel comfortable talking about it, then the children can go to their parents and feel more comfortable. But that just wasn't even on my radar. I wouldn't have even considered going to my parents to ask them about things like that, hmm. partly because they never talked about it. But I think a big part of it was I assumed that talking about it was bad. Like I had heard things at church, like having sex before marriage was bad. So I just assumed, okay, I guess we don't talk about it either. You know, maybe Mm. we don't talk about it in our house because talking about it is bad. Mm. So even when I would ask friends about it, I had some guilt feeling like it was inappropriate for me to be curious or inappropriate Mm. for me to ask questions. But there were just times when I was curious enough that I did it anyway, I guess. Yeah. That like breaks my heart that that is the natural, I'm saying not, not just for you, but I think in general that that mm-hmm. is the natural leap that is made. Like if these things are bad, then we shouldn't even be curious or thinking about them or talking about them. Right. And it just heaps on more shame and like that, that shyness you were talking about, it like elevates it and yeah. turns into a big burden to carry. It does. It does for so many people. Yeah. It makes me realize that we have a lot of actions to take to actively move against that because recognizing that that's the natural inclination, that it's going to be shame, it's going to be hiddenness, lets us know that it takes a lot to redirect that into something else. So. Yeah, it really does. This this is something that we have to be actively changing and actively discussing mm-hmm. because it won't shift on its own. Right. I'm noticing even with my daughter, she's in fifth grade, so she's at that age. And mm-hmm. this is on my radar. This is what I do. You know, so I have been <laughs> for years already, you know, age appropriately introducing concepts. And I'm shocked how much she's still shame filled around it. Like Mm-hmm. Even though I did it, there is something, I guess, innately, I don't, I don't know if it, where it comes from exactly. I've been wondering that for her because it's like, I'm, I try to be so open and try and, and present these things in a way that is like the opposite of shame. 
And still she's like, mom, like, come, I don't want to hear it or whatever. So it's just, it's, it's still in her. So it is really an active yeah. thing that we, we really need to work against. Yeah. And I think you bring up something important, Caitlin, because even though we hope that our voices as parents will be the most prevalent in this space for our kids, they're still picking up on cultural norms and expectations. Mm -hmm. They're hearing things that's cool. They're recognizing things, you know. So so she might be picking up on some of this discomfort from other places, even mm -hmm. though you're actively trying to fight against the discomfort. And yeah. that's totally normal. But I think another reason why we need to be talking about it so consistently, because mm -hmm. we aren't the only voice. Right. Love that. And, and even like acknowledging that to mm -hmm. our children. Like, I know I'm not the only voice. Like mm -hmm. speaking it out that yeah. we are acknowledging th that they are going to gather information from many places. Right. So but props to you, Caitlin, for doing the work. <laughs> yes, I do. I try and do it regularly too. Like, yeah, often count, not one conversation, mm -hmm. just, you know, and naturally, like when something comes up on TV, that's a question mark, yeah. you know, just kind of being mm -hmm. honest about it. And, and she, I have to admit, she, she's come a long way and I'm proud of her and still steeped in shame culture. Like it's both things. Totally. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's just, I think always going to be a a consistent part of our jobs as parents. And I can't wait mm -hmm. to hear more about it. Rachel was just telling me that you just came out with a curriculum or some sort of resource for parents. So yeah, so I just launched a couple of months ago, a guidebook for parents mm. about teaching kids about bodies, consent and sex. And it walks mm. through this one is for ages zero to nine. The one for ages 10 to 18 will come out later this year, mm -hmm. at the end of the year. But it basically divides that phase, the zero to nine into three stages mm -hmm. and, and outlines what things you might want to cover during each stage. I think that's one of the big question marks for parents mm -hmm. is they're willing to talk to their kids about these things, but they don't really know when they're ready for different ideas or, or teachings. And so I kind of walk through what things are developmentally appropriate for mm -hmm. different stages and how to teach them and what to teach. So mm -hmm. I'm pretty excited about that. It's maybe the thing I'm most excited about in my business right now, just because I so desperately needed it as a child and my parents didn't have a resource like mm -hmm. this. So yeah, I'm excited to, exactly. to provide it for parents. Mm. It always makes my heart sing when I see people create resources that they needed themselves. Yeah. Because there's so much heart and passion in that. Yeah. And so I'm so proud of you for doing <laughs> that work. <laughs> it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So I'd love to come back to this, but I like, mm -hmm. I feel like this is such a great little caveat in the middle of your story because this mm -hmm. is like you are now creating what you needed in that season. Mm -hmm. Um, just so good. So I'm curious then, as you aged and grew into a season of life where I'm guessing there were crushes, there was interest, you became more aware that you were, you were a sexual being. Mm -hmm. How did that mixture of shame and shyness and also curiosity play into that, those kind of like teenage years? Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot. I, I had so much shame mm -hmm. in dating 
but completely unwarranted (laughs) for Mm. the most part. Like, I mean, personality wise, I was very shy. So that part of me wasn't, I mean, it was compounded by shame, Mm -hmm. but that part of me was just, I would have been shy in dating regardless of what my parents did. Mm -hmm. But then with the shame of not understanding my own sexuality and not knowing how to navigate desire that I experienced and feeling like any desire was shameful and awful and sinful. Yeah. It put me in some, it put me in a pretty difficult situation, even though I didn't date really seriously until I went to college. Mm. So I was 18 by then, like in high school, I had my first kiss when I was a senior in high school. So I was older. (laughs) And part of that was, I thought kissing was bad for a long time. So I didn't do Mm -hmm. it because I felt ashamed that Mm -hmm. I, you know, I can't do something like that. I had no idea. Anyway, (laughs) I had my first kiss when I was in high school and it was like the most innocent little peck, you know, nothing even like remotely close to a makeout even. Yeah. 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 I didn't tell my parents that I had had my first kiss until I was in college. Like I Mm. thought that maybe I had done something bad. I wasn't totally sure, but I thought maybe Mm. it was bad. And it just made dating so hard. Mm. Even when I got to college and was now in a life stage where I felt like I should be dating and that that was good for me to do now, I still had to do so much work to let go Mm. of the guilt and shame of not just sexual desire, which feels a little bit more, a little bit heavier at that age, but like Mm -hmm. desire to be physically close to someone in a totally appropriate way. You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it was, it was a little bit of a mess for me. It took several years in my adult life to let go of the shame that I had just around pretty Mm -hmm. simple things. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that makes a lot of sense with Mm -hmm. your lack of education or the education you did get. Yeah. So as you took those baby steps of exploring, what was the catalyst? What supported you to keep making those choices to Mm -hmm. let go of that shame? Yeah. I think I realized how big of a problem it was when I was an adult doing things that aligned with my moral beliefs, but I still felt a lot of shame. Mm. So I realized that I needed to figure out why that was and do some work. And as I sought out resources, which Mm -hmm. this is one of the main reasons that I'm in the career that I am, because I had a really difficult time finding resources for someone like me who was Mm -hmm. Christian and had some convictions about waiting until marriage but I couldn't find any resources aimed at single Christians. Like there's a ton of resources, many of which I don't necessarily recommend (laughs) for Christian couples, but I couldn't find anything for someone in my life stage. Eventually Mm. I found a class at my university and that was kind of the catalyst for studying sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized that there were people who study this and teach this as a career. And I was like, whoa, that's cool. Mm-hmm. And it took me several years still to decide that's what I wanted to do. But mm-hmm. eventually I decided that I wanted to pursue a graduate education 
focused on healthy sexuality. By then, by the time I decided to go to grad school, I was still single, but Mm -hmm. had worked through a lot of shame, but realized Mm -hmm. I still had some good work to do. So really it was grad school that helped the most. I didn't get married until after graduate school. And I was researching healthy sexual relationships and was preparing to work as a sex educator and researcher after school still as a single woman. And that was really empowering for me. And I think Mm -hmm. that's when it really finally shifted completely from Mm -hmm. shame to gratitude and empowerment. So it was a long journey. (laughs) Relearning these kinds of things when there's that much shame attached to it Mm -hmm. can take a long time. Mm. Yeah. I'm just so impressed with like, you kind of pulling yourselves out of out of that like shame-based belief system to the point where you're like I'm going to get my master's in this like that is so cool like what was I'm curious what this class was that you took in your undergrad that was the catalyst there there actually was a healthy sexuality class Mm. at my university and it was always full so I mm-hmm. actually didn't get to even be in the class, but I audited it. So nice. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. And the professor that taught the class actually became one of the advisors on my thesis committee in graduate school. So it was kind mm-hmm. of a fun full circle moment to finish mm-hmm. my graduate program with her on my on my committee and because she was a big facilitator mm-hmm. for me, you know, getting into mm-hmm. that career. Super cool. And that it was a female teacher. Yeah, it was. She's fabulous. (laughs) That's wonderful. I think that's been a a catalyst for a lot of people we've talked to is finding a woman who speaks about sexuality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I think that the majority of voices you hear at first are very male or masculine or, you know, and once you start hearing women talk about sexuality and realize, Oh, women talk about sex a lot differently than men do. Totally. <laughs> like we need more female sex educators. Like totally. straight up. Totally. And I actually think that's one of the reasons why I had a lot of shame growing up was because when sex was talked about, it was by men and primarily directed towards men. Mm-hmm. Like in church, I would hear them talk about like pornography, for example, but it was mm-hmm. almost always directed at, at men. And then you kind of just get this cultural or <laughs> offered this cultural belief system of like men are sexual and women aren't. And mm-hmm. if women are, that's a bad thing. We really mm-hmm. demonize female sexuality mm-hmm in the media and in broader Mm -hmm. culture, not just in like religious circles. It's women who are sexually active are viewed as very promiscuous and it's kind of inappropriate. There's a lot of negative terms that we use for sexually active women, Mm -hmm. whereas sexually active men are viewed as kind of cool and very masculine, very, you know. So I think that was a definite contributor to the shame that I experienced was I Mm. thought maybe I was the only woman who had any sort of sexual desire or thought about these things or was curious about these things because I didn't hear women talking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I relate to that a lot. I felt very similarly. So the girls you'd go to at school 
who you talked to and who you knew were more comfortable talking about sex, would you have perhaps put them in those categories of maybe they they know more than they should, quote unquote? Yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. And I think that even though I was grateful for their insights and experience, I was so judgy in high school about what they were doing just because I thought like, what? you know, this is girls do not act like this, you know, <laughs> which I wasn't, I mean, I was judgy about the boys who were having sex too, just because I was like, grew up in a very religious home and hadn't learned yet how to navigate like respecting the sexual agency and choices of other people. Mm. But I was way more judgy of the girls. Way more. Yeah. And now, like, just it, saying that hurts my heart a little bit, even though yeah. I can be gentle with younger me for not understanding. Mm-hmm. But but I definitely was. I think that's common. I think that's what we were taught. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, Christian or not, even in our culture, like, women, sex, you know, men are sexual and women are the objects to fulfill that sexuality right. was the role. And yes, right. maybe we desired that um, attention because it was like, oh, we're, we're chosen. They, you know, that's acceptance kind of, but the whole idea of just exploring our own sexuality, like it was not around. Like I, I agree. No. I did not experience that at all until I was older and was like, had to do that work on my own. Not something we're yeah. taught at all. Yeah. yeah. I think any of us, in this generation or older who have gotten to a place where we feel comfortable in our own sexuality really went through that journey primarily by ourselves. And mm. that I'm really proud of those of us who have done that work or those who are trying to do that work. Mm-hmm. But I'm really excited for younger generations who won't have to navigate that by themselves. Mm -hmm. There's so many more resources available now. So many more people are talking about it. And I'm just really grateful that they won't have to do it by themselves like we did. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. It also makes me think about the women who are in our, our generation or older, like you're saying, who haven't yet done that work. Mm-hmm. And how, because I feel like there are more voices talking about it now, there is more opportunity to do that work in community yeah. now. And my heart goes out to those women who feel like they should have done this work or they should know better or, you know, fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And my opinion is, no, it's not about should. Like you weren't handed the tools like I wasn't handed the tools. Right. I might have just started doing this work a little earlier than you, but you know, we're we're all trying to figure it out. It's real messy. <laughs> so I again so grateful for you doing this work and helping pave that way so that there is more community and more knowledge and more resources for people in these stages. So I want to hear a little more about these college years with younger yeah. Carly and what it was like stepping into relationships in that season and what did you learn about your own values you talked earlier about your you doing things that aligned with your values mm-hmm. so what was that like what was that process like for you oh it was a mess it was a <laughs> <laughs> I, I still feel a little bit bad for people that I dated early on in college just yeah. because I was so guilt-ridden mm-hmm. and that must have been really difficult to navigate as a partner as well mm-hmm. But I'm grateful for them. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I 
I started dating. I had my first pretty serious relationship when I was 19. Okay. And the guy that I dated was so kind, such a good person Mm -hmm. and never pushed me to do anything that I didn't want to do, was very respectful. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of the ideal situation relationship wise for someone who had a lot of guilt, was still figuring out what they believed about this kind of thing and had no idea how to navigate it because um, had he not been as kind, it would have been a lot more difficult, but Um, I realized during that relationship that everything I believed about sex and sexuality was not only really shame-based, but also I had never questioned anything. I had never really thought deeply about my personal convictions. I had heard my whole life that for example, sex belonged in marriage. Mm -hmm. But I realized during that relationship that I hadn't even really considered anything else. And I do think that choosing abstinence is a very different experience than being abstinent because you feel really shameful about sex mm-hmm. <laughs> and think that there's no other option. It's a very different lived experience and mm-hmm. I have lived both. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that relationship was actually really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was one specific instance where the guy that I was dating expressed a personal boundary that he had mm-hmm. that I hadn't even really, like, it didn't seem like a big deal to me. Mm -hmm. But he felt like it was important not to do that at that stage in our relationship. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he actually decided that for himself. You know, it's not it's not sex. It's not in the Bible, I guess. But he he actually chose that. I didn't know that we could do that, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which sounds maybe a little silly. But at that stage, it was just I just did did what I was told. I had a very obedient heart and I wanted to do what was right. And up until that point in my life, I thought what I was, I thought that doing what was right meant doing what I had been told. And it was Mm -hmm. that relationship that really helped me start the exploration of what do I feel like is right? What do Mm -hmm. I feel like is good for me? What aligns with my understanding of God And that was a really important part of the journey for me because Mm -hmm. it required that I became the authority for my own life and choices. Mm -hmm. And in the sexual space, I think that that's especially important because, I mean, it ties into our ability to express or decline consent. Mm -hmm. It plays into our comfort with our own sexual feelings and how we choose to express them. I just think it's so vital that we choose how we engage with Mm -hmm. other people sexually, that we know that we can choose how, when, and with whom we express our sexuality. And up until that point, I hadn't really considered it a choice Mm-hmm. So I think that was one of the most valuable parts of that journey in college for me. It still took, mm-hmm. you know, years. It took years. That mm-hmm. was a good realization, but it took years for me to really mm-hmm. 
um, figure out what I believed and take authority for my own choices, you know, but, but that was kind of the impetus, I think. I love that. I love what you're saying that like women still today need to hear this. Like we choose like what we want to engage in or not like before marriage, after marriage, all of that. Like it is such not something that we've been taught and it is so, so, so like you said, vital to a healthy sexual relationship. I think it's everything. Mm -hmm. And it's just, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm so glad you like focus on that because it is, it's everything. Yeah. And it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to do that work when you hear the messages that like men are sexual and women are the object of desire. And we want to be that, right? Mm -hmm. Like we want to be wanted. We want to be chosen. Mm -hmm. And that's a really difficult space to make choices in Mm -hmm. from that place. So hopefully, you know, like we talked about, younger generations won't have to make choices from that exact place, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but they'll still have to learn this, you know, body autonomy and authority. And it can take a long time to get to that point. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I reflect too on anyone who's growing up in a religious context, there's a lot of conversation around authority and what you're in control of versus Mm -hmm what is being given to you from Mm -hmm. God's authority. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's very complex to just wrestle with that very concept of whose authority is it? Totally. Like who has authority over my body? Mm -hmm. Like I come from a religious context. And so I'm aware of these verses and narratives that get taken wildly out of context. Whereas it basically is translated that the woman is the last person to have authority over a woman's body, you know, (laughs) it's almost like she has authority over her husband's body more than she even has authority over her own. Like it, that's the very last thing. And so for you to be on this journey and to discover that, oh, I actually have authority over my own body. Like Mm -hmm. there's even not just religious sexual messaging, but religious messaging in general that had to be grappled with for that to be overcome. So Mm -hmm. And still, like so many of us who are trying to, who are still trying to actively live our Christian faith are Mm -hmm. still having these conversations, are still grappling with these same verses and ideas and teachings that have been so prevalent in religious spheres, not just Christian spheres, but religion in general has been perpetuating these messages for, I mean, (laughs) centuries. Yes, literally. (laughs) Yes. 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 I just, I love though, hearing how this relationship you were in taught you so much. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that's another thing that I know I was afraid of when I was younger was, well, relationships aren't there to teach you something. They're there for you to marry and commit to. And the idea that you could date for experience and date for learning sounded that it, that did not align with my values. So, totally. I, <laughs> so what was that breakup like for you? Oh, it was awful. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't even think that I would, I would have never at that point been like, I'm just dating for experience. That mm-hmm. also, that I, I mean, for those of us who grew up religious, that's like so not part of our context. <laughs> um, later on, I would have said that because I didn't get married till I was 28, which is mm-hmm. average in the US, unless you're in a Christian community, then it's yeah. old, you know? Right. So, 
Um, but no, it was, that breakup was really hard for me. Mm -hmm. That was like my first, my first real heartbreak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I mean, other, other relationships, you know, we, most of us who dated for a long time have all kinds, but most relationships I look back on and I'm kind of like, Ooh, (laughs) like that was not ideal. That one though, will forever, I will forever be grateful for that relationship. Like Mm -hmm. I learned so much and, Mm -hmm. and he was so kind and it was such a positive experience overall. Mm -hmm. So I feel really grateful that that was my first, Mm -hmm. you know, my first love, my first serious relationship. Okay. I'd love to jump ahead a little bit and Mm -hmm. ask about your relationship with your body. So as you dated, as you approached your marriage with your husband, what was that learning like for you as you grew more comfortable with your sexual self? That's a good question. I, I don't think that I was really good at paying attention to my physical experience Mm. (laughs) for a really long time. Why would that be? (laughs) (laughs) Um, even in like a physical relationship, Mm -hmm. like when you're dating and especially when you're someone like me, who's dating and has all sorts of shame and Mm. all sorts of belief about like, I am here to please someone else, which (laughs) just saying that makes my stomach just churn. I hate it. I hate it. But, um, I think that a lot of, even when I was kissing someone or something dating, I was thinking a lot about their experience for two reasons. One, like, am I doing a good job? I think all of us have that, especially when we're (laughs) starting out. Like, (laughs) am I doing this right? Am I, you know, are they Uh enjoying it? But also from a, from a religious standpoint, I felt like I was responsible to be the gatekeeper. Right. So like I am the woman and because I don't experience sexual desire and he does, huh. <laughs> but you know, I felt like it was my job to make sure we didn't go too far. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my physical experience in dating with physical affection of any kind was, mm-hmm. is this okay? Are we going too far? Are we keeping our boundaries? You know, there was a lot of stress around that. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I actually think that my relationship with my husband, that it took that long, which I started dating him. Um, we met when I was 26, right after I turned 27, we started dating. And so, I mean, I had been doing this for years. I was already halfway through my graduate program when we started Mm -hmm. dating, but I do think it took until that relationship for me to finally be like, oh, actually I really enjoy physical affection in a relationship. Like this is really meaningful for me. I feel so loved and so cherished and like, it's fun for me. And it took, it took that long for me to let myself enjoy the fun of physical affection. And I think a big part of that was at that point, I knew what my personal boundaries were and I had actively chosen them. They weren't, Mm. they weren't pushed on me anymore. Mm -hmm. They weren't something that someone else had chosen for me. Mm -hmm. They were my choice. And so now I could enjoy, actually enjoy all of the things that aligned with my personal boundaries. Mm -hmm. And that was really powerful for me. 
And I think that played a really big role in me learning to celebrate and be grateful for what my body was capable of doing. Mm -hmm. Like celebrate and enjoy that my body could kiss someone and have a really good time and have it be so fun and that I would feel the butterflies and the desire and and that those things were good things. That was really powerful for me. And I think transitioning into marriage and into a sexual relationship for me, that's what that meant. Mm -hmm. I was in a place where I was already celebrating what my body could do and experience, even though I wasn't sexually active at that point. Mm -hmm. So transitioning into a sexual relationship was so fun and Mm -hmm. I was still a beginner. So like the sex itself was still very much beginner sex, like it is for everyone when they start out. But emotionally, it was such a fun transition. And that Mm. isn't a lot of people's experience because they still have, you know, at no fault of their own, so much shame attached Mm -hmm. to their bodily Mm -hmm. experience and to Mm -hmm. the act itself. That was a long answer, Rachel, to your question. (laughs) (laughs) I loved every word. (laughs) Yes. You have such a unique path that I think is so helpful to learn from. And I am so grateful. Obviously, I'm great I'm happy for you and I'm also so grateful to hear your experience in what it looks like tangibly to do the work in your sex life before you're even sexually active. Yeah. Mm. That we don't hear that. Mm-hmm. We don't know what that looks like. <laughs> yeah. And, and so uh, thank you for doing that for yourself and for everyone else who is hearing <laughs> us because being able to approach your sexuality and really own your body's responses, not be afraid of your arousal, celebrate your body before mm. it ever quote unquote, belonged to anyone else. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. It felt powerful. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Yeah. The word that you said that's sticking with me is just enjoy. You were able to enjoy that whole season, that whole process. And unfortunately, some you know, we hear so many women's stories, not the story of the wedding night or whatever, because right. they it was the opposite of that experience. It was shut it down, don't enjoy, turn it off until that night, mm-hmm. turn it on. Mm-hmm. So I love that you were in that season of getting in touch with yourself and your body and your enjoyment Mm -hmm. and your desire and all that ahead of time. Mm -hmm. I agree. It's just like such a beautiful story. Yeah. I just think, I think that we hear these messages or somehow, I mean, even if it's not explicit, we assume or decide or guess because nobody talks about it that learning about sexuality, learning about sex is inappropriate until it's time to have sex, or even that we can't align our behaviors with our values. If we have some moral convictions or religious convictions about what sex should look like or where it belongs, we Mm -hmm. feel like if we even step into the realm of learning, we won't be able to align our behaviors with those beliefs anymore. Like it will be mm. too tempting or it'll be too powerful. Right. That's just not true. And right. I think that that's, that really, it's, it's unfortunate that we have so little faith 
in ourselves and what we're capable of. It, yeah. it just, it downplays our personal conviction and power mm-hmm. and authority mm-hmm. to say like, if I learn about this, it's a slippery slope and I'm just mm-hmm. going to be totally, you know, yes. not going to be able to handle it. Mm-hmm. But I actually think that we can be so much better at aligning our behaviors with our beliefs when we're really choosing, when we really understand what we're choosing, mm-hmm. when we're actively preparing instead mm-hmm. of just waiting. Yeah. I think that those things make it way, way easier and way more possible to align our behavior with our beliefs, not the opposite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This this stirs up some feelings in me about just how I feel like oftentimes it feels like there's two camps when it comes to sexuality. There's either religious abstinence-based rules, shame, honestly, Mm -hmm. or it's the land of sex positivity where quote unquote, anything goes. Mm -hmm. And I think the fear is that if you're not living in this religious shame-based space, then you're just going to land over here in this other camp where, you know, anything goes quote unquote. And it's just doing a disservice to all of us. It's just automatically distrusting our hearts, basically, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and giving us no agency or power to assess things and choose. And it's that that slippery slope phrase. Man, <laughs> the amount of times we've all heard that if we grew up religious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. I do. I think that the the balance. Mm-hmm. is sexual agency, as it's sometimes called. Mm-hmm. I think that this two-camp mentality is very common. Mm-hmm. I also think that it's really detrimental for everyone <laughs> on yeah. both sides yeah, because it leads to a lot of judgment of self and of other people, which is not good either. Mm-hmm. 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 But the idea of sexual agency, which is I get to choose, everyone gets to choose, how, when, and with whom Mm -hmm. they express their sexuality, Mm -hmm. that belief allows for personal conviction and choice. It allows for an empowered choice of abstinence, if that aligns with your values. But it also requires of us that we are respectful of other people who choose differently. Yes. So it's, it's, I can choose to wait until marriage to have sex and I can be respectful of people who choose to do differently and Mm -hmm. that's okay. I can view that as totally all right for them Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I can be encouraging to them as they try to figure out what they believe in, what they want and as they navigate their own sexuality and sexual shame and work Mm -hmm. through that, right? Mm -hmm. Sexual agency allows for whatever religious or moral convictions we have without the judgment of people who choose differently. I love this. This is resonating on my heart right now because I don't identify as a Christian and I will Mm -hmm. openly say I did not choose to wait, nor would Mm -hmm. I still to this day because my sexual, but it's put me in a different camp that other, like exactly what you're describing, like, is, is, are they judging me? Are they thinking that I'm bad or wrong? And actually I've had people comment because something we're really open about on this podcast is that Rachel identifies as a Christian. I do not. And even mm-hmm. people have said to me, 
well, how could, I don't understand like how you can possibly do a podcast with some, a Christian on sexuality. Cause you guys like believe mm-hmm. different things. And it's like, yeah. no, we, we may have different val- personal values of what we choose for sure. But just how you're describing this is just like oh, giving me all the feels. Cause I think you articulated something that we've been trying to kind of just by being open with who we are, um, just kind of model or demonstrate and that it's okay mm-hmm. for, you know, Rachel to have her set of personal values and convictions and me to have different and that they can exist in the same space and we can still love mm-hmm. each other and not, yeah, not be judging each other and still come yeah. on a podcast and talk about it together. Like <laughs> I just, I love that so much. Yeah. I love that you guys are actively displaying this, mm-hmm. that it, that this is okay and that you can cheer each other on too. It's not just mm-hmm. a lack of judgment, but like you can encourage each other in your own paths and it doesn't have to be like, oh my gosh, you're waiting till marriage or oh my gosh, you're a Christian. That's awful. Or on the flip side, oh my gosh, you're not waiting till marriage. That's awful. You know, it doesn't, yeah. none of that needs to exist in this space. So thank you guys for demonstrating that for so many people. I love it. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's just divisive. It doesn't, it, and mm-hmm. yeah, there's so much division already for to yeah. women to be pitted against each other on all these yeah. subjects. Like yeah. it doesn't need to be there. Like it's, mm-hmm. yeah. You're here. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Carly, I feel like I could talk to you forever and nerd out about all the things you've learned, the things you're passionate about, but we can, we can save that for another conversation. We can just, you know, <laughs> always more, always more to discuss. But as we close out our time together here, I'd love to hear from you what you would say to your younger self now that you've done so much of this work. Let's go back to Let's go back young, like in those teenage years when you were first approaching dating, relationships, crushes, any sort of sexual feelings. What would you say to yourself now? How would you come around her? I think there are two primary messages that I wish that little teenage Carly could hear. Yeah. (laughs) The first one is that what you're experiencing is normal. And it's good. Mm. Like the little, the little twinges of desire that you're starting to experience are good. And Mm. all of the other people around you are likely experiencing them too. Mm. At least the, the large, large majority of people are experiencing them too. You're not alone. What you're experiencing is other people's experience. And even like, this seems obvious now, but at the time hearing that it was also something that the other religious people around me experienced, Mm -hmm. like this was something that your parents experienced. That would have been really helpful for me. So that's the first one that what I was experiencing was normal. The second one would just be that learning about it is, is good and normal too. That your curiosity is good, that it's okay to ask questions. And I mean, ideally I would have tried to help teenage Carly find a safe place where she should ask questions or could and I think my parents had they known how to answer questions or be a safe place they would have totally been willing Mm. but I just wish I wish that teenage Carly knew that learning about it was okay too yeah that makes a lot of sense so much undoing of shame I think (laughs) that that's a common theme when we ask our podcast guests (laughs) to go down memory lane it's a coming around and relieving of the shame. There's just, 
so much for everybody. So there is. And I, I really am hopeful that our kids won't get to adulthood and have to relearn everything about mm. sex and sexuality. Mm. I hope, I mean, everybody's going to have to work through things from their younger years. It's a part of life. It's totally normal and it's totally okay. Mm -hmm. But I hope that they won't have to spend years in their adult life unpacking shame around their sexuality. That's one of my big hopes for Mm. the younger generations. Mm. Yes. Us too. (laughs) You're doing the work. (laughs) 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 Yes. We're doing it together. Thank you, Carly. Gosh, this has been wonderful. Um, Can you share a little bit about what you're currently offering online? Mm -hmm. We talked about your guide for parents, um, but you have so many other resources. Can you share a little overview of some of the things that you're in the midst of? I would love to. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so you can find all of my resources at thechristiansexeducator.com. I have several resources for people in different life stages, mm-hmm. particularly those who either grew up Christian mm-hmm. and are trying to navigate whether or not they want to still align their beliefs with that specific mm-hmm. belief system or those mm-hmm. who have already chosen that in adulthood they want to continue their their Christian beliefs mm-hmm. but want to be educated about sexuality as well. So mm-hmm. I have a course for singles mm-hmm. who are waiting until marriage to help them be educated about this but also empowered to choose their own personal boundaries. Yes. I have a course for couples. It's called the honeymoon course. Couples who have waited for marriage either like their whole lives or have chosen abstinence in this stage as they prepare for Mm -hmm. marriage Mm -hmm. um, to help them transition into sexual activity in a way that's Mm -hmm. really happy and joyful and not Mm -hmm. shame filled. Mm -hmm. And then I have one course for couples in the first decade of marriage to help them build the kind of sexual relationship that they're wanting, which may include unpacking some of these, Mm -hmm. you know, shame filled beliefs. So those are my courses, the singles course, the honeymoon course, and the newlywed course. And then if you go to my website, thechristiansexeducator.com, there's also a bunch of free resources for people in different life stages, discussion mm-hmm. guides for you and your significant other, fiance, mm-hmm. spouse, there's journaling guides, there's a lot of things. So if you're not in a position to buy any of the resources right now, that's totally fine. There's still a lot that might be helpful for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love how you serves so many different stages. Mm -hmm. And I will say that even though I do come from a religious background, I have found your voice to be so inclusive beyond the, what can sometimes be perceived as walls of religion. Like it (laughs) it goes beyond. And so even though you have the word Christian in your title, I think there's so much good that your resources do for people who even aren't in that stage actively. Like it wouldn't Mm -hmm. identify with that necessarily currently. So that's my hope. So that's good to hear. Thanks, Rachel. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. (laughs) So, oh my goodness. So great. Thank you so much, Carly. This has been wonderful. Thank you for having me. This was lovely. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Absolutely. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Not Tonight podcast. If today's story inspired you to take the next step in your own relationship, we invite you to join our online Patreon community. Go to nottonight.org slash Patreon to get started today. We also greatly appreciate your support by subscribing to future episodes and please leave our podcast a five-star review. Until next time, keep doing the work in your sex life, whatever that looks like for you. 